You were listening to a message from The Exchange in Pearl, Mississippi. To find out more about The Exchange, go to www.theexchange.cc. Today we're in uh, part two of a series called Just Tell Me Why. Just Tell Me Why. Uh, We've all found ourselves asking why questions about a lot of different things in life. Uh, Chances are you ask a lot of why questions even this week about something at your house, at your job, in your life, in your marriage. We ask why. This series is really for those people uh, who've ever asked God a why question. How many of you be honest enough to go, you've ever asked God a why question? Cool. Okay. A lot, lot of curious people. That's good news. All right. Glad that you're here asking why. Um, last week, we kicked off our series asking uh, and answering this question, why does God allow bad things? Why does God allow bad things? We live in a world, a lot of bad things happen. Why do good people have to go through bad things? We answered that question last week. So if you missed the kickoff to our series, we'd love for you to go back on our website or our podcast and uh, listen to that truth as you maybe ask that question. Today, we're going to tackle a second why question, second why question. There's an unwritten rule in churches that I'm about to tell you. Okay, it's unwritten, but I'm about to reveal it to you. It's an unwritten rule in churches, especially for preachers, and that is that if you want to keep people happy and you want them to keep coming back to church, okay, then you don't talk about politics, you don't talk about money, and you don't talk about hell. Okay, like that's the rule, fair rule, okay? Um, And so the good news today is we're not going to talk about politics and we're not going to talk about money, all right? The true news today is, though, we are going to talk about hell, all right? We're going to talk about something that uh, really we don't talk about a whole lot. Churches don't talk about a whole lot, but we're going to talk about that for just a few minutes today. And I don't know, like, where you grew up. We all kind of grew up in different households. Mom and dad look different. Family context look different. But in my household, when I grew up, we were not allowed, like my mom and dad didn't even allow us to say the word hell. Anybody else grew up in that household? Okay, somebody feeling me, okay? And some of you are like, what? Okay, we said that all the time, all right? Okay, don't, don't admit that, different household, okay? But like we, we grew up, we didn't even really say the word hell a whole lot. And so uh, if you grew up like that, then you figured out kind of different ways to address things and say words like any of us. We, we didn't say the word, but we said um, H-E double hockey sticks. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, you know, some of y'all feeling me. Some of y'all acting a lot more holy than you should, okay? You, you ain't that holy. Okay, um, so you know, there's a lot of ideas and thoughts about the word hell. It gets thrown out a lot of times in a lot of ways in our culture. Okay, in a lot of ways it probably shouldn't, like in traffic. Okay, but it comes out a lot. And uh, there's a lot of thoughts and ideas about the word hell, um, especially in our culture. Maybe you grew up, um, used to be a, an event that happened a whole lot. A lot of churches or groups would do this. How many of you have ever went to an uh, event called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames? Any of you? Okay, cool. A lot of you and a lot of you like have no idea. Okay, your life's better off maybe because of that. Um, churches and groups, they would put on this event, and it was kind of like a real-life depiction of things that you would really go through, like car wrecks and different stuff. Um, and then they would kind of like give you a visual of this is what hell is. And so it would kind of scare you into believing in some ways. My wife was a part of one of those. She like had to act like she was in a wreck. She was all bloodied up and all this. And so Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames, that was a thing. Also growing up, uh, we would refer to preachers as like hellfire and brimstone. Anybody heard that before? Hellfire and brimstone preachers, okay? Um, just if you're new to our family, I'm not one of those because it's just kind of not my angle. Um, the turn to burn, right? Turn to burn, that's what they would say. And really those guys, they just, they talked a whole lot about hell and really kind of tried to scare you away from hell um, so that you would follow Jesus and really kind of, I truly believe they did sometimes a lot more damage to people's faith than they did good. Um, But that's another subject for another day. But we got a lot of different ideas about hell and, and, and what is it. And the church that I grew up in was really faithfully a part of. We didn't talk a whole lot about hell. We knew it was in the Bible, but we didn't necessarily talk about it a whole lot. And all I really knew as a young guy growing up was that hell was probably like, it was like a really bad place. It was really hot there. And I really didn't want to go there. Okay. Anybody else? Like that's kind of your feelings on hell. Some of you, like you're, you're a parent now, like you're a grandparent and 
That's kind of your same understanding about hell. You just know it's really bad, really hot, and you really don't want to go there. And you're trying to tell everybody in your family, like, hey, you really should go to church so you don't really go to hell, okay? And that's kind of the mindset of our culture today. And so today, I, what I want to do is just through Scripture, I want to give us an understanding of hell. And so here's our big why question for today. Just tell me why. Here's our why question. Why does a loving God send people to hell? You write that down. We're going to answer that over the next little bit. Why does a loving God send people to hell? Think about it. We sing and say God is love. Like we say that a lot. We post it on Facebook. God is love. We don't even know the context of the verse, but it said God, it said love, and we like it. Okay. And that's good and right that we should say that. He is the essence of love. But then at the same time, we say, well, if you don't know Jesus, you're going to burn forever. All right. I mean, just think about that. If, if you don't know God, you're destined for a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That doesn't sound real loving. And kind of that's where a lot of people in our culture may sit is they're like, well, well, that doesn't sound like something that a loving God would do is allow or send people, however it happens, to go to that kind of place where there's all that going on. So let's talk about hell for a few minutes. Now, if hell's a real place, and I happen to believe that it is, uh, and if I were the devil, okay, I'm not the devil if you're new here, um, but if I was the devil, then hell's a real place, then what would be my strategy? Let's kind of think on the opposing enemy side for a moment. If hell's a real place and I was the devil, here'd be my strategy. I would work really, really hard to get you to believe that it's not a real place. Or I would get you to believe that there's no reason to really take it that seriously. Because think about it. If I could get you to believe that hell's not a real place, or I could get you to not take it seriously, then how, how would you live? Well, you'd probably live for whatever you wanted to, right? You'd justify your sin. Uh, you'd reject Jesus with no fear of God. Um, you would crave comfort. You would reject sacrifice. You'd avoid any persecution because we don't want any of that. And you'd really love this world a whole lot, even though it doesn't really last. Which, coincidentally enough, is really kind of how a lot of people live today. So let's talk about hell. Hell's actually a topic found all throughout Scripture, and perhaps the person who talks about hell really more than anybody is Jesus, who is the essence of love, right? I mean, he walked in the greatest act of love ever in history, but yet he addressed hell. Now, when you look at who Jesus was talking to, and you look at how Jesus talked about hell, this is very, very important. Every time he talked about hell, he wasn't trying to scare unbelievers away from hell, but he was actually using hell to motivate those who were spiritual to act more spiritual. You with me? So Jesus didn't use hell as a scare tactic, but he actually used it as a motiva motivating factor. Because why? Because Jesus didn't want people to go to hell. Now we're going to look at a few different verses of scripture passages. Matthew 5 is where we'll start. We'll go over to Luke in just a little bit. But one of the times Jesus talked about hell is Matthew 5. If you want to turn there, we'll also put some verses on the screen from wherever you're gathering. Matthew 5, I really want us to focus on just one main verse. Um, Jesus gave this kind of ridiculous metaphor, maybe you've heard it before, to make his point. And he addresses the topic of hell in this verse in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 29, you can see it on the screen. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. How many of you have read that verse before? Okay, that's a good Sunday school day when you get to talk about that verse, all right? Now, what, what was Jesus saying? I don't, 
I don't necessarily believe that Jesus was literally saying, like, if your right eye stumbles one time, okay, gouge that bad boy out and you're done with it, okay? There'd be a lot of left eye people just walking around today if that was the truth, okay? I don't think that's necessarily what Jesus was directly saying, but I think Jesus was really emphasizing this point. He was saying that if there's anything that keeps you from serving, from honoring, and obeying God, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Whatever it is, it's not worth keeping because end of Matthew 5, 29, Jesus didn't want people to go to hell. Now, the word that Jesus used here as hell in Matthew 5 is translated from from the Greek word Gehenna. Gehenna refers to an actual place in the southwest corner of the city of Jerusalem known as the Valley of Ben-Hinnom. We've got a picture that we'll put on the screen just for you to have a visual. Now, I want to give you a little bit of history about this Valley of Ben-Hinnom. Centuries before Jesus, an evil king Ahaz worshipped the false god of Molech, who is known for one of the most horrific acts really in all of history. We could even take it up to today. And he was known for child sacrifices. You can read it. I'll just give you a blip about it. Um, you can read about this in the book of Jeremiah. Look at this on the screen. Jeremiah 731 says, They have built the high places of Topeth in the valley of Ben-Hinnom to burn their sons and daughters in the fire. Now, that's really hard to think about. It's difficult to think about. Um, but even today, you won't find homes and businesses in this valley because this place was considered cursed and it was considered cut off from God. Nobody went there because of the history of this valley. And because of the history, this place ultimately became like a garbage dump where they would throw dead animals, they would put human waste, um, sewage was there, they would put the decaying bodies of executed criminals. You can imagine, it smelled really good. Not at all. No, it had a horrendous smell, and there was a smoldering fire that never, ever, ever went out. And really, this valley began to be referred to as the land of no more. It's called the land of no more, the land of no more beauty, no more laughter, um, no more peace, no more friendship, no more joy, no more hope. And ultimately, that valley really became the land of no more chances. It was the land of no more. Now, when Jesus talked about hell, you see, it wasn't like some dungeon in the basement of heaven where the bad people go. No, it it was much worse than that. Jesus was painting the picture of this literal valley that so many people knew about And Jesus was painting the picture of something that was cut off from everything good. It was cut off from the presence of God. Watch this picture today. What what is heaven? In, In its essence, heaven is the presence of God. That's what we crave. What what is hell? Hell in its essence is the absence of the presence of God. So that raises the question, why would God create hell? Why would God allow people to suffer in a place called hell? Now, I'm going to show you two reasons very directly from Scripture. I'd love for you to write these down. Stay with me. The first reason that maybe you'll probably be okay with is this. Hell exists for God to righteously punish Satan. Hell exists for God to righteously punish Satan. It's the place for, of punishment for the prince of darkness. Now, Here's kind of where our culture has evolved over thousands of years. We really kind of watered down this idea of the prince of darkness, the enemy, Satan. Okay, and now we think of like Satan, when we say that, we think of like some dude who dresses up in leotards at Halloween, and you should never do that, okay? Like just don't do leotards, especially fellas, all right? And so like we think of that guy, has a little pitchfork, and we watch the cartoons, and we're like, well, the devil sits on this shoulder, and he whispers this, and the good angel sits, listen, that's, that's so polluted in how we think about that, but that's how our culture thinks of 
Satan, the enemy, the prince of darkness, is this like cartoon character. But here's what I want us to just grasp for a moment is that Satan is the embodiment of everything evil. Every addiction, behind every addiction, there is Satan. Behind every abuse, there is Satan. Behind every fear, he gives a spirit of fear, of pain, of shame. He's called by Scripture by these names, the destroyer, the deceiver, the dark angel, the accuser, the tempter, the wicked one, the thief, the father of lies, the master of deceit. He came with a mission. It was very clear to steal, to kill, and destroy. And he would love to steal your joy. He'd love to kill your faith. He would love to obliterate your marriage, to ruin your finances, to take your kids. He wants to take out your family. This is the father of lies. And hell is created as a place of punishment for the deceiver. Revelation 20 verse 10 kind of gives us this support. It says this, and the devil who deceived them was done, was what? He was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. We like that, right? That, that sounds fair. If, if you are the embodiment of everything evil, there should be punishment and we're okay with you having that kind of punishment for forever. So the first reason that God would allow a place like hell is to, is to righteously punish Satan. Now, the next verse I'm going to read in just a moment is a little more challenging, especially in our culture that we live in today, because the Bible is very clear. It talks about something called sin. Sin, in its essence, is missing the mark. That's what the word means in the Greek. Hamartia means missing the mark. It means doing something that's it's not God's will, it's not God's best, it's not God's plan for you, it's opposite of God's design for you. But our culture doesn't really like to use that word today. I don't know if you've picked up on that. But when it comes to sin, we really prefer a God who kind of looks the opposite way, right? Kind of wink, wink at the white lie. It, it wasn't that bad. Like, I, I'll do me and you do you. You do you, boo. And we, we really would like a God who's, who's like that. But the truth of the matter is, don't miss this, church. The truth of the matter is that Scripture says there is a standard. There is a standard. And culture doesn't set it. Facebook doesn't set it. The news don't set it. There is a standard. And Scripture says the standard is holiness. And when we miss that standard, hamartia, we miss the mark. We, we fall short. And it is impossible for God to be holy without also being just. It's impossible for him to be holy, and he is holy, without also being just. Wicked and evil must be punished. We want that when someone does something to us. We're, we're, in, we're on board with that. So in the same way, a holy God must also be a just God, so he must punish wrong and evil. So first reason hell exists is for God to righteously punish Satan. Second reason, this is a little more difficult, hell exists for God to righteously punish evil. And in that category of evil goes everyone who has sinned and who is without Christ. Paul tells us this very clearly. There's a passage in 2 Thessalonians 1 that kind of speaks towards hell and evil and wickedness. Look at this on the screen. 2 Thessalonians 1.8 says, He will punish those who, what? who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Here's the punishment, verse 9. 
They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord, cut off from the presence of God, and from the glory of his might. What is hell? It's, it's the absence of everything good. It's the absence of the presence of God. And Scripture says that they will be punished by being shut out from the presence of the Lord. No more chances, presence of the Lord not available. And listen to me, <clears throat> that's harsh. That's, that's difficult to process. It doesn't like, bring me a lot of joy just to address that today. But here's the deal. If we don't accept the reality of hell, we will never appreciate the goodness of God's grace. If we don't accept that reality that hell is a real place of real punishment, of real separation, then we will never appreciate the depth of God's goodness and grace. Now, this is kind of the point in the message where it gets a little heavier and nobody laughs anymore and start feeling a little weird. And so I want to tell you a story, okay, from Luke chapter 16, and feel free to turn there. We'll put the verses on the screen. It's a little bit of a long story, but it's a very interesting story. I just want us to read a few verses from it. <clears throat> Luke chapter 16, verse 19. Here's where we'll pick up the story. It says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and he lived in luxury every day. Now, let's just pause right there. Let's just acknowledge as we read that, this dude was crazy rich. I'm talking about like filthy rich. We know he was rich because of the way he dressed, right? He was wearing purple, and he was dressed in linen. Now, in order to wear purple in this day, he was probably some form of royalty because just to buy that dye, the purple dye, meant you that you were one of the richest people of society, okay? And don't get any false ideas, all you LSU people, okay? We're not talking about you. We're talking about this dude. Are you with me? He was wearing purple, but then it says also he was wearing purple linen. And one commentary says to own a piece of linen, just a piece of linen in that day of this variety, um, it could have been sold for enough wages for enough food for a whole year, okay? Cat was crazy rich. That's what I'm saying. Story goes on, Luke 20, or excuse me, Luke 16, verse 20, at his gate, this rich man's gate, was laid a beggar named Lazarus, not the one who was raised from the dead, different guy, and he was covered with sores, and he was longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table, and even the dogs came and licked his sores. So here's, here's like what's happened. This dude's sitting outside the rich man's house, and he's just begging, like, I want something. I'm, I'm that hungry. Now, in this day, not in today, but rich people would take bread, and they would kind of wash their hands with bread. I know, a little weird, but they were filthy rich. And so they would then take the crumbs, and they would go give the crumbs to Fido, all right, to their dog. And this guy's going, like, I'll take even those. I'll, I'll take those crumbs. I'm that desperate. I'm that hungry. He was that much of a beggar. And verse 22 picks up the story, and it says, The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side, and the rich man also died, and he was buried. So both men die. Scripture says, beggar taken to Abraham's side, rich man not by Abraham's side. In fact, Scripture says he was actually in a place called Hades. Now, Hades was known as the place of dead, of the dead, or the place of punishment. So you've got the poor guy, beggar, Lazarus, at Abraham's side, rich man, not by Abraham's side, in a place called Hades. And here's what happens in verse 23. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham from far away with the beggar, with Lazarus by his side, and he called out. Here's what he called out. Father Abraham, have pity on me, and would you send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. The rich dude's 
in pain, he's suffering, he's in agony, and he's crying out, please somebody give me some type of relief, just something. Now, the next part of the story is really kind of emotional as you think about people that are close to you, that you love, but I want you to see what this rich man, who's not by Abraham's side, from Hades, what he cries out. Let's skip down to verse 27 in the story. He says, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus, send the beggar to my family, for I have five brothers, and let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. He says, would you, man, would you just send somebody to go tell everybody I know who doesn't know him that they don't want to be where I am? Jesus used this story to teach and to make a point, and, and I want to kind of really quickly pull out just four truths, four principles that I think help clarify and understanding for us as we ask this why question today. And so real quick, I'm going to give these to you. The first lesson is the rich, the rich man was fully conscious and aware. The rich man in the story, fully conscious and aware. Notice this, he had his memory, he was hurting, so he had feelings. He was full of regrets. He was conscious and he was aware. Second truth, rich man's eternity was irrevocably set. The rich man's eternity was irrevocably set. He couldn't change it. It was too late, or we could say it was, there was, no, it was the land of no more chances. Um, third truth, rich man knew that his suffering was just. He knew that his suffering was fair. How, how do we know that? Well, he complained about the pain, right? But he never complained about the injustice. He said, this is agony, this is suffering, this is the worst thing, this is horrible. But he never said, this is wrong. He never said, this is unfair. And then the rich guy in the middle of real agony, real suffering, conscious, aware. Did you, did you see what he did? Who was who he thinking about? He was thinking about his brothers. And he said, would somebody go tell them to choose different than what I chose? And here's the fourth truth. The rich man begged and pleaded for someone to help his brothers know Jesus. Somebody, just some, I mean, even the beggar dude who I gave the crumbs, would you send him to tell them about Jesus' goodness? And about his mercy. And would you tell them that Jesus doesn't want them to suffer like this? Now again, if I was the deceiver, if I was the prince of darkness, the father of lies, what would be my strategy? Well, I'd probably take the strategy to get you to believe that hell's not real. Or even if it is real, man, live your life. There's no need to take it seriously. He's just a cartoon character. And if I could get you to believe that it's not real, or at least you don't really need to take it seriously, what, what would you do? I mean, you'd probably live life however you wanted to, right? And justify your sins, and you would reject Jesus. That's just church. You'd crave comfort, avoid any real difficult persecution, no need for sacrifice, don't want to get too crazy into this. And you'd really live like this world, is, that's all there is. Which, interestingly enough, is how most people live today. See, when Jesus talked about hell, it wasn't to scare bad people into heaven. No, but he used that to motivate those who were believers to act like they really believed what they said that they believed. And here's the thing. A lot of people would still say, they'd hear that and they go, well, it's still not fair. It's not fair that a God who says that he's all love and we sing about all that and 
he's still going to send people to hell? Like, why, why should good people have to suffer like that? Like what you've described. Why, why does, that doesn't make sense. God created them, right? And see, here's, here's what we have to understand. We talked about it last week, but I'm going to say it again this week because we, like, we have to be on the same page with this, is we have to understand that, church, in our truest essence, we're, we're not good people. We, we are inherently not good. At our core, coming out of birth, we're choosing everything opposite of God's design for us. Scripture tells us that. It's real clear. Verse maybe you've heard before. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. Hamartia. We missed the mark. We fell short. And we fall short of the glory of God. Now, we live in a culture today. We don't want to use that word. We don't get too in anybody's face. Be PC. Make sure everybody's on the same page. Some of you are thinking, well, no, nah, like I'm, I'm an okay person. Like compared to my Facebook friends or how I act around my coworkers, I've got a, I've got a good heart. I try to be pretty good anyway, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm above average in our society. I'm okay. Well, let's just kind of do a little quick survey, all right, just to make sure that we're, we're all together in this. Okay, so by a quick show of hands, how many of you have ever lied? Okay, if you ever lied, just raise your hand, raise your hand, raise your hand. Okay, look, look at anybody who doesn't have their hand raised. And just give them that look, just like, that, that look, you know what I'm talking about? Like, liar, liar, pants on fire, okay? Like, just, come on. All right, how, how many of you have ever stolen something? Anything, like pencil, a car, anything? Okay, ladies, guard your purse. All right, like, woo, that's a lot, all right? And he's stolen something. Okay, how many of you, okay, listen, don't, don't raise your hand on this. Don't raise your hand on this. Okay, I'm giving you a pass. Okay, just, just raise your eyebrow. Okay, just a little bit. However you do that. Okay, this one or that one, doesn't matter which one. Um, how, many, how many of you have ever, how many of you ever lusted? Just eyebrow. Cool, okay? All right. Don't look at your neighbor. Just look at me. Some of y'all are like, you worry about your own eyebrow. You own the eyebrow that's on your eye. You remember what Jesus said about lust? Remember what he said in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, if you've, if you've even so much as looked at someone else lustfully, then you, you've done what? Jesus' words, you've committed adultery in your heart. So what you just told me, not what I told you, but what you just told me is you're a whole bunch of lying, thieving adulterers. That's who you are, okay? Welcome to the exchange, the feel-good church where, where we don't talk about sin. The reality is we're, we're, we're not good, church, but God is good. And because he's holy and because he's just, there has to be a punishment for sin. But here's the good news today. He's not just just. He's also love. It's not just who, like who he is or what he does, but it's who he is. Like that's his essence. Scripture says God is love. And perhaps no other verse really paints this picture more clearly than Romans 5 verse 8. Look at it on the screen. It says, but God showed his what? His great love, his magnificent love, his merciful love for us by doing by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. In other words, while we were lying, while we were stealing, while we were lusting, Christ came in that moment. Christ came and died for us. Romans 5 verse 9, look at it on the screen. And since we have been made right, since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ. Notice it didn't say by your church attendance, by your religious works, not by your righteousness, but by Jesus, by his gift, by his blood, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Rest in that. There's now no condemnation, Romans says, no condemnation for who? For those who are in Christ Jesus. Because of the death of Jesus, he paid the price for our sins. 
and the wrath of God that was going to be poured out on us, Jesus said, I got it. I'll willingly take it. And he bore that weight. He bore that punishment at the same time revealing his amazing grace and his unquenchable love for us. That's who Jesus is. He doesn't want anyone to go to hell, but he doesn't want anyone to perish. Think about this. Who did he come for? Who did he say he came? He came for sinners, not the righteous ones. He came for the sick, not the healthy. He came for those who are hurting and broken, those who feel far from God. Maybe that's you today. Those who fell far from God. That's all of us. He came for those who lied and lusted and cheated and stole and envied and those who are dead in their sins. That's his mission. He came for them. And that's the good news of the grace of Jesus today. That he came on a rescue beeline mission for those people. Gave his life for those people. And perhaps one of my most favorite verses in all of Scripture that speaks to this. Look at this. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Man, we are an impatient society, are we not? Okay. It says, but he is not slow in keeping his promise. No, instead, he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Do you hear that today? He's patient with you. With you. He's been working on you. He's been waiting on you. He's been sending people to you. He's been drawing you by his spirit. He's been giving you second chances. He is patient with you. Why is he so patient? Because our God is not wanting anyone to perish. But everyone to know the joy of eternal life. So hear this. Let's answer the question today. That's why a loving God, okay, a loving God doesn't send us to hell. But he sent Jesus to save us from hell. And it's very, very clear if you read Scripture. The devil, the enemy, came on a mission, and he made it clear to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he's doing his work. But Jesus said, my mission's really clear too. And I came that you may have life. Not just here, but that you would have it abundantly. And hear me today, when you have Jesus, not when you have church, but when you have lay down my religion, pick up your way is better. When you have Jesus, there are side effects of peace and love and joy and purpose. Jesus came that you would have life. And that's why, listen to me, church, with everything in me, I want you to know him. Because there was a time where I didn't. I went to church a whole lot and thought that if I did it enough, I could be good enough to earn him. You ever tried to be good at something only to realize you stink at it? Listen to me, church. You can't be good enough. You can't check the church box, the I don't cuss enough box, the I want a Bible, the I pray before my meals and give money to the poor box. You can't check that enough to be good enough for God. But listen to me, he was good enough for you. And he says, I've come that you may have life and have it eternal. That's how good he is. So let's get eternity straight. Let's understand eternity very clearly today. Heaven is the presence of God. That's what we long for. That's what we were made for. Hell is what? Is the absence of the presence of God. 
Here's the bottom line today. You ready? When you really begin to take eternity seriously, it changes how you live today. Because no longer do you just live for today. But now you live for God's purposes for eternity. And the enemy would love nothing more than to wreak havoc in your life. And maybe he is. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, my way is better. I've come on a mission for you while you are still sinners that you may have life. And that you may have it more abundantly. Thanks for listening to this message from The Exchange. If you would like to talk to someone about your faith journey, you can contact us through our website, www.theexchange.cc, or by calling or texting 601-397-6111. Now let's go be the church.